You are listening to CGSW on 90.9 FM in Calgary on Treaty 7 territory. Today, in honor of Black History Month, we'll be looking at John Ware. And today, I will be joined by a very special guest, Calgary's own Cheryl Fogo. Millerville is a hamlet nestled into the foothills region of Alberta. The landscape, along with its beautiful views, is calm and peaceful. If you go to Travel Alberta, you'll find that the General Store, established in 1926, continues to serve customers to this day. The Farmer's Market and the Christmas Market are also signature features as well. Then, there's the horse racing and the horseback riding. This is all a callback to the early ranching days or the Old West, something that is very much reflected here and celebrated by many, including Cheryl, in Calgary. The image that first comes to mind for many people might resemble those of Old Western movies. The movies present the lawlessness of the time period surrounded by rugged landscape and filled with horseback riding cowboys. But another trend with these movies is that, more often than not, most of these cowboy characters are white men. For kids who were born here in the 50s and 60s, the, the stampede really defined the identity of the place, and I loved all that. I loved horses, and I loved the kind of cowboy mythology and loved to imagine myself into it but as I got older and and watched lots of TV shows about cowboys and movies and, and books I didn't see myself reflected in that world and moved away from it thinking it wasn't wasn't a place for me uh, as a black person but my brother discovered the existence of John Ware, who was a black cowboy who came to this part of the world in 1882, and that changed my perspective. Um, and gradually, you know, not instantly, because I was just a kid then, but gradually as I got older, I found a way to meld and merge those identities that I had thought were separate and incompatible, my identity as a person of African heritage and my identity as a person who is from here and who has long, deep roots here, um, became, you know, became identities that, that could walk beside each other comfortably. Why do you think it was that, you know, John Ware seems to be the most iconic? Do you think that was just historical records, or do you think there was some other possibilities as to why he stood out? Well, I think he was genuinely an outstanding person. You know, every once in a while in your life, you meet someone who is really smart and really talented and really strong and handsome and <laughs> or pretty or beautiful um and he was he was a beautiful person in you know sort of in many ways so i think he's remembered in part because he was very memorable despite this legendary status within alberta's history there are challenges in documenting john ware's life like most american slaves before the civil war 
The details surrounding his early life are shadowy at best. Much of John Ware's story was told through friends and acquaintances that knew him. Canadian Encyclopedia mentions that these accounts did not appear until the late 1930s, decades after his death. As Ian Hundy describes in his book John Ware, his story carried on mainly around campfires and bunkhouses throughout Alberta. As a result, myths surrounding John Ware have developed over the years. Cheryl released a documentary entitled John Ware Reclaimed in 2020, which cleared some of these misconceptions. On one hand, it's agreed that John Ware was a skilled rancher, and CBC mentions he helped innovate new agricultural techniques in Alberta, including irrigation. On the other hand, although John was indeed known for his physical strength and courage, Cheryl believes this has led to some questionable stories. One legend she is particularly wary of is when John pulled three people in a horse buggy for over 20 miles after their horses were struck by lightning. On historical figures, icons, and others, we'll look at the stories surrounding John Ware. We'll separate the facts from the fiction and discuss the real John Ware and why his legacy continues to resonate within Alberta's history. Like most African-American slaves, the exact place and date of John's birth is uncertain. CBC estimates it to be somewhere around 1845. Although South Carolina is commonly believed to be his birthplace, Canadian Encyclopedia mentions his 1892 marriage registration lists Tennessee as his birthplace. Like most slaves, he was uneducated and illiterate and he remains so for the rest of his life. CBC mentions Ware was the second youngest of 11 children. According to Hundy, even at a young age, he was noted for his large physique. He likely worked as a field hand at a young age, toiling away in the southern heat, doing planting, weeding, and harvesting. He likely worked with horses as a slave, as it was not uncommon for black slaves to work for white ranchers as cowhands, or otherwise known as cowboys. Believe it or not, the term in its early days had a racist connotation, making cowboys seem like they were not as respectable as the cowhands. As Canadian Encyclopedia mentions, the word cowboy simply refers to a person nowadays who herds and tends cattle. When John became a free man following the 1865 abolishment of slavery, he made his way over to Texas. This move westward was common among many former slaves who were seeking a new life after the Civil War. Hudney mentions that while many remained in the Midwest, others traveled even further into some of the new American territories like Wyoming, Dakota, Montana, and Idaho. According to Parks Canada, in 1879, John was hired as a cowhand to drive around 2,400 cattle over 3,000 kilometers to Montana, where he stayed for several years. 
1882, he was once again hired for his ranching skills. This time, he was approached by a Northwest Cattle Company agent in southern Idaho to drive more than 3,000 cattle north to the district of Alberta. The company would eventually establish the Bar U Ranch. Within a week of arriving to the region, John had his ranching and survival skills tested. As Cheryl recounts in her documentary, a blizzard struck and fellow ranchers were forced to abandon their cattle and seek shelter at the ranch house where John never showed up. After the storm subsided a few days later, a search party found both he and his herd still alive. He even managed to build a fire for himself. What to you were like the key personality traits and the attributes that really allowed him to succeed? He was very savvy as a business person and as a rancher, both in terms of his relationships with people and finding people that he could get on side. There were many people who didn't like John Ware and many, many racist people around. Mm -hmm. He just tended to find the right people and, um, and build relationships with those people. But he was also very savvy about animals. He, he was very skilled with um, and loved his animals. You know, he loved his horses, his dogs, and his cows. Thanks to the Northwest Cattle Company, the Bar U Ranch was established as part of the Canadian government's push to establish the Western Prairies as a haven for cattle ranching and further develop the region's economy. Hundy mentions that Alberta had changed a lot in just over a decade prior to John's arrival. The Northwest Mounted Police had established themselves in Fort McLeod to maintain law and order. In addition, the indigenous communities comprising of the Blackfoot, Stony Nakoda, Blood, Sarcy, and Pegan were persuaded by the federal government to sign Treaty 7. In doing so, they surrendered their traditional hunting lands to live on government reservations. On top of all that, the buffalo that once freely roamed the land were hunt to near extinction, creating food shortages for these communities. To fill this void, these communities counted on beef suppliers from Montana, but the Canadian government soon wanted to become a self-reliant supplier. As Canadian Encyclopedia mentions, Bar U provided both the Northwest Mounted Police and Treaty 7 Indigenous communities with meat, previously supplied by American trading companies from Fort Benton, Montana. However, this relationship between the ranching and Indigenous communities was actually quite complicated. And I remember reading that, you know, the ranching industry provided a food source for these communities between, you know, the buffalo being hunted and traditional lands being taken over by Treaty 7. Was this probably the biggest reason for these alliances, or was there another reason for these alliances between the indigenous communities and the black communities, and maybe John Ware himself? 
Um, so a couple of things occur to me as I as I hear you frame your the context and the question. Mm-hmm. It does seem to be the case. I've heard and learned from several different sources that John Ware had positive relationships with Indigenous people overall, mm-hmm. um, although there were times when I feel John Ware was was used just like, you know, just like other ranchers were used to kind of participate in that pushing Indigenous people off of the land. So it it is true, I have heard at least, that John Ware did provide um, beef to Indigenous people, but at the same time, the reason for that was because the land was taken and it was given over to ranchers. There's complexity in that question, and, and it can't be viewed as just a, a positive relationship necessarily when you consider that people of African descent in this part of the world have endured our own particular extremely difficult history, people who were enslaved and who are the descendants of people who were enslaved. And Indigenous people have endured you know, an incredibly painful and tragic history as well. And these two communities have often been pitted against each other, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, and and have lacked the power to really change each other's narrative or status and standing. So that's a, it's a good question that you're asking, and it's a, it's a complex one. I think we have to consider all those factors when we talk about the relationship between John Ware and Indigenous people and Black people and Indigenous people in general in North America. According to Canadian Encyclopedia, the export of live cattle to major international cities like London, Liverpool, and Glasgow enhanced Canada's role within world trade. By the turn of the century, the cattle industry became more economically vital to Canada than the wheat industry. John parted with Baru in 1884 to join the new Quarn Ranch, located on Sheep River. Hundy notes that during his tenure at this ranch, he worked with expensive purebred horses from Britain, including beautiful thoroughbred stallions. Thanks to John's work, the ranch became one of the most respected in the region. Parks Canada mentions that although John continued to work for large ranches around his homestead, he also established his own ranch on Sheep River in 1888. His ranch flourished and soon housed hundreds of cattle. According to Canadian Encyclopedia, In 1885, he registered his own cattle brand, simply known as 9999. In 1898, he removed the fourth nine. As Parks Canada mentions, John Mary Mildred Lewis in 1892. Cheryl mentions her father was a carpenter and her mother was a laundress who were part of the Lewises, a prominent black Toronto family. Unlike her husband, Mildred was well-educated and literate. 
Do you feel like she gets enough credit for the work she put in? No, I don't. In general, I feel that the women in the ranching industry do not credit for how how really, in many ways, they were the backbone of that industry. Um, and Mildred is a very interesting woman. You know, I, I don't think it was uncommon for people to homeschool their children because schools were few and far between, uh, and, and she did homeschool them for quite a while. Eventually, the kids went to school. They went to live with their grandparents, actually, in Blairmore for, to be a little bit closer to some schools, and then they lived with their grandparents full-time after their parents died. Yeah, Mildred was fascinating, and, and her whole family was fascinating. Honestly, you could you could take any member of the Lewis family and do a deep dive and come up with an incredible story. Mildred's brother Spencer, her sister Ethel, her sister Mary. They they were just very, very interesting, smart and accomplished people. Yeah. And I and I don't feel that there's enough known about Mildred or that she gets enough credit for John Ware's success. Although a hard worker, John always found time for leisure as well. Some activities, including teaming up with his old friends from Quarn Ranch and hunting coyotes across the prairie landscape. Horse racing competitions were also a favorite. Hundy points out when John won his first steer roping competition in Calgary in 1893, he unknowingly contributed to the development of the Calgary Stampede just shy of 20 years later. There was a precursor to the Stampede that was called the Calgary Exhibition, and that, you are correct, John Ware won the very first one. He won the the steer wrestling competition in the very first one, and if I'm not mistaken, also the roping competition. He won a saddle, and um, that was 1893. Yeah, so that uh, that development that led to the stampede, to the formation of the stampede, was built upon those kinds of exhibitions. And John Ware was very competitive. He was a very exciting. Um, person to watch in those sports. People really enjoyed watching him and uh, and he was, you know, getting a, a seat where you could see what was going on was quite coveted. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's sad that he died before the stampede came to be in 1912 because I think he would have been uh, would have been honored alongside the other people who were his friends that became the big four. Three of them, anyway. Mm-hmm. Three of the four, big four, were friends of John Ware's. However, with all this in mind, John experienced hardships throughout his life as well. On one hand, he certainly gained the respect of many fellow ranchers, entrepreneurs, and homesteaders who overlooked his skin color. Global News mentions this can be attributed to the tight-knit nature of the communities who face the challenges of living on the western frontier. Despite his lack of education, 
John proved that his past life as a slave did not hold him back from rising to such challenges. Hundy mentions, while working on the Quarren Ranch, John was admired by members of the English upper class who paid a visit to the ranch. One could imagine John was quite reserved around these wealthy and educated folk who would have pictured a black man in North America working as a servant or a member of the working class. But John's confidence would surely have won over the respect of these individuals. However, this by no means shielded him from the hardships of racism, an aspect of Canadian history that is often overlooked. And Calgary was no exception. Canadian Encyclopedia mentions that John was denied entry into establishments within the city. One legend details when John knocked down a bartender after he refused to serve him and called him a derogatory name. Another instance is when he could be charged double the price for ranching land as his white counterparts. But John tried not to let these encounters sway him from building his reputation and life. Canadian Encyclopedia mentions that after his family left the Millerville Ranch in 1902, they re-established themselves along the Red Deer River near Duchess. Cheryl points out how isolated Mildred and her children were due to the remoteness of their new home. Their first was actually destroyed by a 1902 spring flood, but John managed to rebuild another outside of the floodplains. Compared to their Millerville house, this new one was hastily built and rather unimpressive. And then he experienced some family tragedies. Mildred had actually given birth to six children, but one died as a baby. And on top of that, Mildred died of pneumonia in early 1905. A few short months later, John died when his horse fell on him after tripping on a hole. Hundy notes that John worked as a cowboy for over 25 years, and during that time, he tamed some of the wildest horses. And yet, he died while riding a gentle horse on his own land. John's funeral was one of the most attended in Calgary at that time, and CBC mentions it drew ranchers and others from hundreds of kilometers away. Their five children went to live with Mildred's parents. Two of their sons, Arthur and William, joined the only all-black battalion in Canada's history, the Number 2 Construction Battalion. Are there any other parts of John Ware's legacy that you feel like need to have more attention? One of the things I wanted to draw attention to in the film is his legacy as a family man. How much his children loved him. Um, Nettie described herself as a big fan of her father. Uh, I think that aspect of the story isn't well known or isn't talked about very much. So that that's one thing that's important to me is just how he overcame the kinds of painful experiences that often lead a person to not be a good parent 
uh, and he seems to have been a, a, a great dad and a good husband and very much in love with Mildred. So I think John Ware's legacy as a family person is could be better known, and it's important for me to talk about that with people. Do you have a particular favorite story about John Ware, whether you mentioned it in the documentary or not? You know, I do think it was very funny. I can't vouch for all the stories that were told about how funny he was, because, you know, sometimes people made up stuff about John Ware, but I did hear that he was asked if he was interested in taking up this newfangled thing called the bicycle. And he supposedly replied, yes, definitely, as soon as the last horse is dead. Oh. Um, which I think is very funny. And so I think some of my favorite stories about John Ware that are less well-known are just about his sense of humor. At a time when the Canadian West was still finding its footing within Canada, John Ware became an important piece of the puzzle. His contributions to the budding cattle industry proved vital to Alberta's development. In addition, John remains an important figure in Canadian Black history who worked to overcome racist sentiments. The legacy of John Ware ensures through various commemorations. As Canadian Encyclopedia mentions, there are many sites in his namesake near the area of his Millerville Ranch, like Mount Ware, Ware Creek, and John Ware Ridge. Even Calgary has a few of its own, including John Ware Junior High and the John Ware Building at SAIT. For Black History Month in 2012, Canada Post issued a stamp in honor of John. And on top of all that, the federal government declared him a person of national historical significance in 2022. One can hope that these commemorations will further increase interest in John Ware's story, a story that has seen some resurgence in recent decades. Hopefully, the more realistic portrait of John Ware that Cheryl Fogel paints in her documentary will gain further attention and clear the misconceptions and myths. You can check out her documentary, John Ware Reclaimed, on the National Film Board's website. Uh, your play, John Ware Reimagined, can we expect that to return to the stage anytime in the near, near future? Oh, I would love that. I've had, uh, had a wonderful production of it out at the Blythe Festival a couple of summers ago. And it was an outdoor theater, and it was just perfect. It was, you know, like there were crickets, <laughs> crickets in the background and, you know, stars twinkling above. It was really, you really did feel like you were on John Ware's ranch. So I hope so. And, and if there's another production in Alberta, I would love it if it could be an outdoor production. Any other current projects you'd like our audiences to know about? Oh, yeah, I've got another uh, film in the works should be released in the spring. It is uh, a short documentary called For Caesar, and it is about the northern Saskatchewan black history. So people can keep an eye and ear out for that. Um, also working on a couple of books. So yeah, got a lot of, 
lot of irons in the fire. I have several Black History Month presentations coming up, and then on March 6th and 7th, there is a, a, a kind of a, a, a great confluence of two events, one that is a University of Calgary event, and one that is a, a Mount Royal University event on the history of Black people as pertains to housing and um, and business. And in particular, the March 7th event at the Grand Theatre is about the porters, about the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters and their impact on society. And the University of Calgary event, I think you can find more information about it through the Hash Game website. Um, that's, that goes March 6th and 7th. It's going to be a fantastic event. So I strongly encourage people to check both of those out. All right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your interest, Stephen. You have a good day. You too. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Historical Figures, Icons, and Others. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, stay tuned for future episodes.